Uh, so there we are. How's the weather? I know that's a terribly British thing of me to ask, uh, but how's the weather in merry old England? It's, it's been very wet this week, oh. and now it's gone uh, drier, but it's uh, as I look outside, it's white. It's a big frost tonight. Oh! Oh, I'm, I tell you what, I do miss, I do miss a frosty morning. Um, just how it looks, not how it feels. Anywho, yeah. we need to, we need to crack on. We need to crack on. Uh, your top story for us this morning, Gavin, a British registered cargo ship has uh, sunk two weeks after being attacked by Houthis in, uh, the Gulf of Eden. Uh, we have been following the story around, uh, the, uh, the Yemen and the Houthis, uh, in recent weeks. Uh, what's the latest on this ship? Yeah, so the Rubimar is the first ship to have been sunk by the Iranian-backed rebels in Yemen since they began targeting those vessels in the Red Sea. Um, and it is British registered. Uh, it was brought down near the Yabab al-Mandab Strait when it was hit by two missiles fired by Yemen-based Houthi rebels. Um, they immediately said they'd sunk it. They hadn't, but it was obviously taking on water and has now sunk 10 days after it was hit. All 24 crew had already been rescued. Um, the vessel's owner said that it was being towed into nearby Djibouti, but it, it could sink, and indeed now we know that it has. It was flying under a Belize flag operated by a Lebanese firm, but here's the catch. It's believed to be carrying a cargo of fertilizer, ammonium <sighs> nitrate fertilizer. Why am I so upset about this? Because when that mixes with water it will cause an environmental catastrophe, is the fear, for all that area's seas. So off the coast of northwest Africa, this could be a major, major environmental disaster, they're warning. Um, and all this because the Houthi rebels say they are attacking vessels linked to Israel because they're so angry about what's going on in Gaza. Well, the owners, the British Registry, uh, all the rest saying this vessel had nothing to do with Israel. It was simply carrying fertilizer from one part of the world to another, nothing to do with Israel. Um, and uh, I'm afraid now, well, we, we just hope that the environmentalists are wrong and that the damage isn't as bad as they fear. But when you're carrying tons and tons of concentrated nitrates like this, that could really be devastating. Your next story is an interesting one to me. Um, there's been uh, growing concern in recent months over the safety of, uh, of British MPs since the outbreak um, of, uh, of the war, or rather, for the, the, uh, the war in, in the Middle East. Um, and those MPs who are facing threats to their safety are going to be given extra security. And this comes as part of a multi-million pound package to help protect the UK's democratic processes from disruption. Um, is this is this affecting a lot of MPs, Gavin? Yes, it is. So 650 million South African rand going to be spent on this package of extra security. For some, that could involve bodyguards for the MPs most at risk and additional police patrols in response to increased community tensions for other MPs. So what, of course, is happening is that people are looking at the voting records of individual MPs when it comes to some of the votes that have been going on in Parliament about the uh, Gaza um, uh, problems at the moment. Of course, some MPs criticized by Jews in the UK for uh, not speaking out. Others are criticized for uh, not 
demanding there is a ceasefire immediately, not doing more to push this government into demanding Israel stop the fighting in Gaza. Well, either way, they're caught between a rock and a hard place here. And of course, now MPs encouraged to get out and about in the community, encouraged to hold um, meetings with constituents face to face. And in the last, oh, I suppose eight years now, of course, we do know that two of our British MPs have been killed doing their job by uh, a voter or by, well, you might say in one instance, a, a, a mad um, sort of uh, a person who just um, uh, simply decided to kill an MP. Um, and so with those two deaths, uh, the MPs are saying they're very concerned about the abuse they're getting on social media, about the threats they're getting on email and phone calls to their constituency office. Um, and so consequently, this, this whole thing, not only the Gaza conflict now causing problems for those ships in the Red Sea, but also for MPs, of course, around the world, and particularly here in the UK with a high number of those um, uh, of the Muslim ethnic minority who are um, pushing for a ceasefire in Gaza and for this government to really take much more of a stern line with Israel, um, I'm afraid it has resulted in many MPs uh, fearing for their safety. So this package of measures should at least go some way to help them. This next story, I remember uh, you telling us about this a couple of years ago, an absolutely awful story of the London police officer who raped and killed a woman. Well, now an inquiry has said that uh, he should never have been a police officer. Well, that seems like a no-brainer. Uh, but that opportunities were missed to stop him. Yes, so the, the name um, uh, Sarah Everard may not mean very much, but this poor woman was abducted, raped and murdered by an off-duty policeman. A policeman who worked in London who had only just finished his duty. Uh, and, of course, at the time there was absolute outrage, particularly when it then became known that in the past weeks before this murder, he had effectively uh, been um, uh, spotted, uh, basically uh, um, doing various odd things uh, with indecent exposure in and around his, uh, his uh, uh, patch, uh, in Kent, uh, they, uh, where he was also from, that he was found to have sexist and misogynistic behavior, viewing um, pornography, it was also alleged, um, extreme violent pornography, it was alleged. Um, and so I'm afraid now the police have done this full investigation and found that they failed to spot red flags about his unsuitability for office. They could and should have stopped Wayne Cousins from ever being a police officer. Uh, and uh, that he enjoyed the powers and privileges that accompany the role of a police officer using his knowledge of police powers to falsely arrest this woman and investigations into allegations of indecent exposure 2015, 2020, 2021, police failed to spot these things. I'm afraid it's a litany, SJ, of uh, things that should have been spotted and he should have been stopped being a police officer and he should have been prosecuted. So the police in London, the Metropolitan Police, saying this is an urgent call to action for all of us in policing uh, to stop that happening again. Incidentally, since it's all come to light, a number of other police officers have now either been sacked and or prosecuted for other offences. Sure, that is terrifying. Your her poor family. Uh, the uh, UK's uh, asylum backlog is falling, apparently. Uh, but is that right? Are they really? 
Well, uh, yes, this is the big question mark. It's all about figures and how you view them. Um, the figures for those numbers of asylum seekers being housed in hotel accommodation at roughly the cost of 200 million South African rand a day has actually changed very little in the past year. However, the number of decisions being made on asylum applications has risen nearly fourfold in the last year. So I suppose good and bad news. The question is that with more and more people arriving at a faster rate, of course, you'll never get the numbers down if you don't improve and don't increase the number of decisions being made. The problem that also materializes is, of course, the appeals process. People get turned down and they appeal. Then they're stuck in the system for another year or two, and then they appeal the next decision if it's not in their favor. So I think things do need to change here. People are absolutely, dare I say, a bit sick of this here in the UK. I think that most people don't mind genuine asylum seekers being able to come to the UK, but those who are deemed to be playing the system are very, very much not appreciated. Uh, and this government's action, well, just doesn't seem to be able to tackle it. And as I said, almost 46,000 asylum seekers still in hotel accommodation as I speak at that vast cost. Surely that cannot carry on. Hmm. Now, this next story. Controversial theatre production about race, identity and sexuality in 21st century America uh, will put on two nights in London for black audiences to watch the play uh, free, and I'm using air quotes, free from the white gaze. Go on. Yes, it's, uh, as you can imagine, made a lot of headlines here. This play has been written by U.S. actor and playwright Jeremy O. Harris. It looks at, effectively, uh, set on a plantation in old American South, exploring race, identity, and sexuality. Um, it has been quite successful. It is currently on at the Noel Coward Theatre. But two performances are now being ring-fenced for what's been called blackout performances. In other words, solely for an all-black identifying audience. And uh, that has really led to a lot of raised eyebrows and some people getting very, very aerated about this, saying if you were to advertise in London a white-only performance, there would be riots on the streets. So how come a black-only performance is being considered? Well, the organizers of this are saying, look, the vast, vast majority of audiences in London are white. And so, therefore, it's good to have the opportunity for uh, people who identify as being black. And, and I know that sounds ridiculous rather than just saying black, but that's the way they're phrased. Now I get that, though, and I'll explain why I get that in a minute. Yeah, go on. Uh, well, I mean, you know, enjoy the show free from white gaze is what they're saying. Uh, so it is a complicated thing, and even the Prime Minister's got involved, saying that uh, he, he believes this is concerning uh, and uh, believes art should be inclusive and open to everyone. We'll see what happens, mm. but he says restricting audiences on the basis of race would be wrong and divisive. Oh, I've got so many thoughts on this, right? Let's just very, <laughs> let's just very, uh, I thought you might. let's just very briefly unpack this. So, um, the, I'm interested, but my first question was, 
um, around who gets to decide what black means in this context, right? And and, I, yeah. and I'm going to... We, we've had the whole thing here of, of this young singer, Tyler, who's done terribly, terribly well. And as you know, Gavin, the term coloured is a term that is used here in South Africa, not used elsewhere in the world. And she's faced this whole kind of backlash around her identifying as coloured and the context of that overseas and blah, blah, blah. So my immediate thought is... Who in this context, who gets to decide what's black? Because in some parts of the world, uh, somebody would say to me, well, you're not black because you're half white. And therefore, would I be allowed to go and see this? So it's interesting to me that you say um, people who identify as black. Well, we now live in a world also where um, how people identify and how people choose to identify is given great reverence and particularly around gender and identity. So you could have I mean, I'm thinking of that strange Rachel D.L. woman from years and years and years ago who was a white woman. Mm who said she identified as black and all black people in the world went you're a maniac no you're not um but i mean how how does one how does one monitor that on the door <laughs> i've just got you know absolutely do you do you have to take what do you take to what to, to to verify that you are black enough to go and watch this play um the second point around people saying oh but what if this was a whites only play um th- that to me is a ludicrous question it's the same question that gets asked when you have things like the moba awards the music of black origin awards and go yes but imagine if people had the music of white origin awards nobody can be that ignorant to to not understand why that's a thing um you must understand why there is a redressing of the balance given the history and you must understand people must know that and and a quick a quick look online will will help answer that question so i negate that argument immediately it's not the same thing it is not the same thing that said do i think that uh do i think this is a good move there's part of me that thinks not because I think yes I think art should be um, and culture cultural events and play should be inclusive um, but I often think that the, exactly the people that need to see this kind of work are often the people who are, are now going to be the people who are excluded from seeing it if that makes mm. any sense yeah. um, I, th- I think um, and then there's a part of me that gets that, that sort of also gets it I don't know I'm going to be Switzerland I'm sitting on the fence I don't know we're going to move on to the next story I don't know I don't. I'm also in I'm also intrigued that if I book a ticket and turn up as a white person am yeah. I going to be banned from going in yeah. yes but then surely that breaks some sort of surely that would break some yes. sort of law law yeah. Also, yeah. what if you are? I love that we're now just coming up with these hypotheticals. But what if you are the mother, the what, for example, the white mother of a mixed child who would qualify, yes. who would who would be black for the purposes of the play, but they can't go without their parent, and the parents what? Ay ay ay. I don't know. I love thrashing these things yeah. out with you. you have, you're quite right. Good question. I, I don't know. I don't know how this works, but I'm not going to the play, so I don't need to think about it too much. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, let's talk about pigeons. It's far less divisive. An animal rights group. Well, is it, though? An animal rights group says it's bought and re- oh, bought and rehomed three pigeons from the King's Estate in Sandringham uh, and s- arguing that pigeon racing is cruel. I didn't know that King Charles Ooh. was a prolific pigeon racer. That sounds rude. <laughs> well, I no, I don't think he, he is. But in the countryside, it is something that a lot of people, well, and towns actually, that some people do. It's particularly um, uh, popular in the north of England, pigeon racing. So for the uninitiated, that is setting off pigeons that you own 
and having a race to see which ones can get to the um, location. So you, in other words, you take your pigeons, you drive them to a location. They are homing pigeons. They know how to get home. And uh, you see how they compete with other birds as well. Um, it seems harmless fun, you'd have thought. Yeah. But not according to one animal charity called the People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, who say in these long-distance races, and believe it or not, they do fly them sometimes from France to England, there is too high a casualty rate that the birds get exhausted and sometimes die. And so when the king decided that they was getting rid of some of his homing pigeons, um, they, uh, this charity pet had bought them. And it says it is urging the king and others to uh, set their birds free, as it were, to stop racing pigeons um, and, uh, and to move on. But, you know, the pigeon, now believe it or not, the Royal Pigeon Racing Association, who knew such a group, <laughs> um, said, look, these, um, you know, said it's all fine and they're treated incredibly well. Um, they have uh, basically got uh, very good uh, veterinary assistance. They're looked after. It's not a cruel sport. Um, and, uh, well, the row goes on and on. But the three that have been taken are now at an animal sanctuary and will no longer have to uh, fly around. The hope is, of course, that somebody doesn't leave the door open because if they do, they'll fly straight back to King Charles. I don't know why I find that so funny. I've never thought of the cruelty element of <laughs> of, of pigeon racing. I'll be honest. I, I in my mind, it's a bunch of Northerners in flat caps who yeah. who, yeah. who really love their pigeons and treat them terribly well. But what do I know? Uh, and then your final story, Gavin, is one that we have been talking about um, an awful lot this week, uh, particularly on uh, this station, uh, around the reclassification of my childhood favourite movie. My, this was my I'm off sick from school um, and I want to watch something because I've got a sore throat and I've got tonsillitis and I'm not feeling well. So my mum pops on for me. Mary Poppins. Oh, I loved it. Still yep. do. It's a wonderful 1964 film and was originally classified in this country as you in the cinemas. And that means suitable for audience aged four years and over. Well, we're in 2024 and some 60 years after the film was released with Julie Andrews, it's been upgraded to a PG, meaning you need parental guidance. So you should not unsettle a child aged around eight or older that an unaccompanied children of any age may watch. But parents are advised to consider whether the content may upset younger or more sensitive children. That's what the PG censorship classification actually means. Why the change after 60 years? Because somebody's gone through this with a fine tooth comb. And twice the discriminatory term Hottentots is mm. used. And, of course, that refers to, in those days, the uh, nomadic people of southern Africa. Uh, and in this instance, therefore, the Board of Classification says that they do believe now that this is discriminatory language. Um, and although uh, the term is used in a, a jokey way to refer to soot-faced chimney sweeps, because, of course, Oy. in the film... Dick Van Dyke is the busking chimney sweep uh, called Bert. Yeah. Um, they do now believe that it needs reclassifying. 
I haven't had the opportunity to weigh in my thoughts on this, and I've listened to an awful lot of debate and conversation around it this week and comment. We've done, an, I've actually wrote an article on it for our website, as did a, a few of my colleagues. Um, so uh, what, what I find, it, um, and, and there was a very interesting um, conversation uh, that one of my colleagues had with, um, oh gosh, who was it now? Uh, somebody from the South African Human Rights Commission. And his argument, which I actually, I think I'm on board with, his argument was, what's the point in reclassifying it PG? Um, it's a racist term that is used. Um, you can't, you can't declassify racism. Um, so I'm not really sure what they're hoping to achieve by making it PG. I think just the acknowledgement mm. that, um, this is a term that used to be used. And I guess this is the responsibility of parents. I'm going to let my daughter watch it. And until uh, there's no reason for me to not let my daughter watch this movie. Ridiculous. I'm not going to be that, you know. Yeah. And then at some point, when she's old enough, I'll say, remember when he, you know, Captain Mannering, I think it is, uh, uses that term. We don't actually use that term anymore. And here's why. And that's all that needs to be said about it, I think. I'm just not sure. Um, and I know some people say, oh, who cares? I care. I don't care enough that my kid won't be able to watch the movie it will be a talking point that will allow me to explain something and then we'll move on with our lives quite honestly so everyone saying oh who cares if the word was like the k word or the n word would you would you also say mm. that if you are somebody who is not who to whom that term wasn't once used to denigrate and and refer to you in that way um i'm not really sure why you're weighing in on it um but but my honest thought is that i'm not quite sure what the reclassification does I don't really understand no. that. And I think in this instance, if you are somebody, if you're a parent and you think it does, it's worthy of discussion, discuss it with your kid in an age-appropriate way, we can all get on with our lives. And some people will say, well, oh, you're being... even better, when... Yeah, go on. When you've got a time, SJ, have a look at a new um, uh, transmission of Jungle Book, the old uh, oh. animated, lovely 1960 film. You cannot find a less offensive film, I thought... But Nat now has a warning, because in it, the young uh, girl in the village says she can think of nothing better than to cook and look after her husband. <laughs> At least I think that's the bit that's supposed to be discriminatory. <laughs> I get why people get their knickers in a knot about it and, and and some people are just waiting for an opportunity to say it's political correctness gone mad um, I think given also you know that given that the, the term has a South African connection and, and my child is South African and 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 it is a conversation I will have with her when she's old enough we can talk about it you can still watch the movie it's a great movie Dick Van Dyke's awful accent aside, it's a great movie. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't, if, if people are calling for it to be banned, I'm afraid I can't get on board with that. Gavin, thank you very much indeed. Um, always, always good to have a chat. We'll chat to you again next week.